This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're chatting with Paul Cinderberry. Paul, along with his wife and daughter, farm at Karawatha, 50 kilometres north of Condobolin. They run a traditional mixed farm with wheat, canola and pulse cropping, as well as running commercial and stud Angus cattle. In this episode, you'll hear how their stud cattle operation, Muganilla Angus, was part of the impetus behind their investigation and trialling of hard-seeded legumes within their pasture system. The low bloating nature of some hard-seeded pasture legumes such as Biocerula and Cerradella was very attractive to Paul's operation after he lost expensive stud animals on bloating legume pastures like lucerne and clover. Paul also shares with us some useful tips if considering growing hard-seeded legumes on your own farm. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Officer Rowan Leach. Join Paul on the lounge at Kurawatha over a cuppa and a toasted sandwich to bring you this great chat. Paul, welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast. Thanks, Rowan. So we've got a beautiful day here and thanks for coming out. Mate, do you mind telling the listeners where we are and what you do? Yeah, Karawatha, we're about 50 k's north of Condoblin, central New South Wales. We're a mixed farm, cropping and cattle and breed bulls. We've got two properties. So yeah, the home block is about 6,500 hectares. And that's Karawatha here? Yeah, Karawatha. And then about 60 k's northwest near Bobadar. We've got another block there. It's about 4,500 hectares. And yeah, we're sort of running cattle and cropping out there to tidy the place up too. Yep. So what are some of your soil types here? Typical red soils, sandy clay loams, yeah, low phosphorus, low nitrogen, and yeah, typically sort of 4.8 to about 5.5 pH. So fairly acid, like probably the majority of the state, sort of wester than you. Yeah, as we're finding getting more acid all the time. So we've got a liming program going as well. When it rains, our rainfall, we're about 4.25 mils average. So we can grow good crops and grow good pastures as well when it rains. So do you mind just telling me a bit about your cropping program? What crops do you grow? Yeah, so I mean, the, the basis is wheat, but yeah, wheat, canola, field peas, a bit of barley, sometimes chickpeas. This year we're about four and a half thousand hectares in. We're sort of yeah, trying to tidy up some country at the moment as well. But yeah, about four and a half thousand hectares of crop, yeah, about 700 breeders. That sounds like a big job, mate. What's your business structure and people involved in the business? Sarah and I, we've over the years sort of developed a bit of a system, I suppose. She's in charge of the cattle, I'm in charge of the cropping. Yeah, we can discuss what happens in between with the pastures and that sort of thing. Uh, we've got two full-time employees and my daughter's involved as well. She's partnered with one of the employees, Brett, and they live on the other block out near, near Bobada. So Sarah looks after the cattle and you look after the cropping. You come together when it comes for the pasture stuff though, I think. Oh yeah, no, we, we, as I say, we've got to always try and maximise your returns, maximise the efficiency. Yeah, so we grow grazing crops for the, for the cattle. Yeah, when you're trying to run two enterprises, you've got to make compromises. Yeah, so right at the moment, we're finding um, Illabo wheat's going really well on the grazing side of things. And that's yeah, pretty much how I got into the Vicerula and that. We undersow all of our crops when they go out, traditionally with lucerne and rose clover in particular. And they'll be out for sort of five to seven years until the lucerne thins out and then you know, come back into the cropping again. So yeah, along the way, you've got to make compromises, but that's generally how it works. So I've just noticed that you said the Vicerula there, so I'll, I'll seize on that. That's a great segue into my next topic. You're tied up with 
the Central West Farming Systems Producer Demonstration Site this year. Do you mind sort of explaining what your involvement is there? So I guess yeah, for a while I'd been on the hunt for some pasture other than Lucent. Basically we run Angus cattle, breed bulls. We can grow really good pastures and occasionally the pastures are too hot and you now we have lots of issues with bloat. So we've got ways of managing that with bloat oil and hay and that sort of thing. But you know, there's just times, anyway, it's a compromise. So I've been on the hunt for a while to try to find something different and I came across Bicerule and Saradella. did some research, talked to some good people, particularly Dr. Belinda Hackney, who helped me a lot. And yeah, we ended up sowing some trial sites here and sowing, and out of that, Bicerula and Saradella, and probably particularly the Bicerula have done really, really well. Their non-bloating side of it's going really well. Yeah, through that, then Central West Farming Systems came on and MLA gave us a hand and supplied us some, some seed and stuff like that. And now we're working at integrating those Bicerula pastures with the cropping system and possibly replacing the balsas with Bicerula. So that's where, yeah, MLA's showing an interest, yeah. Yeah, cool. Because we've gone for a little drive around this morning and I noticed that you had a dam fenced off and you had bloat troughs and that sort of stuff in a paddock of Lucent. So you were doing all the right things, I guess, and with hay and whatever, but you just still found that risk of bloat just too high with the Lucent? It's just that unknowing. I mean, yeah, you can go 90% of the time, you're absolutely fine. And then the one morning that you go out and it's not fine, that hurts. And particularly even from an animal welfare point of view, but an economic point of view now with the, you know, the price of cattle and that, it really hurts. Yeah, we're just always looking for alternatives. Yeah. Have you got any horror stories about bloat? We haven't really. You know, the odd one, certainly no large numbers, which has been good. But financially, we've lost a couple of very valuable animals. Yeah, that hurts a lot. It would do it, particularly at this time in the cycle of Angus prices. Been seeing some pretty crazy prices, and you guys hear yourself at Muganilla Angus. Yeah, you guys had been doing all right as well. So, can you tell me when did you first sow your first crop of these hard seeded legumes, Bicerula and Ceredella and a few others, was it? Yeah, 2017. So I went to a couple of presentations days where yeah, Blinda Hackney was speaking. So yeah, through discussions with her, she suggested that we try instead of just something one or two things whatever try a paddock single species strips and just see what performed yeah so in 17 85 hectare paddock and we sowed i think seven different species just in single lines so i've tried to work it so it was the sowing matched up with boom spray wits if we needed to spray it and yeah we had arrow leaf clover and bicerula and bladder clover gland two types of cerradella rose clover and so that was really interesting because yeah we sowed them they all grew people remember 2017 in this area, it started well off the back of 16. Yeah, we had a good autumn that year, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. we had a pretty good autumn, and so everything got off to a good start, and then basically you know, about the middle of the year, it just stopped raining, and then we had a heap of frosts. A lot of crop got frosted, so it was pretty hard on the pastures. But straight up from that, I was really impressed with the growth and the length of season that the Bicerula and the Cerradella in particular had. Arrow leaf clover looked good at the time. Rose clover did what it always does. It's sort of good ground cover, but then cut out really quickly. On the back of that, I actually bought another tonne of Cerradella seed and sowed that into a different paddock. Unfortunately, that didn't go so well. Basically, it didn't rain. Well, I think we must have had just enough small rains that it germinated and a bit of a downer. But then late in 18, we had an inch of rain, sort of October or something. And all of a sudden, the Bicerula now, I'd say in the previous year, just bounced back and took off and I was actually able to graze that paddock a bit, just pretty much on that. So I thought that was pretty amazing. Then we went through 19 and 19 just got worse. Pretty much didn't see anything in 19 and 
So yeah, by the end of that, thinking, oh well, okay, this is sort of that was good fun, but nothing's going to come of it. Fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. Fun while it lasted. So that paddock, we sowed oats into in twenty. When it started raining early twenty, and we sowed oats into, and then even as I'm sowing the oats, I was just looking on the ground and going, wow, what's all that stuff coming up? And it was in particular the bicerula. It just bounced back. It was amazing. So yeah, we know it was a fantastic crop of oats that we grazed really heavily, and in particular that was the bicerula and the yellow santorini. Serradella just worked for us and it was sort of you know, in different places, different things are going to work for different people and different soils and whatever. But on our place, that's just what's really standing out. I mean, the other ones pretty much disappeared and we'll see bits and pieces of them, but those two in particular just really stood out. Yeah. So that advice from Belinda of like just sow a few different types in sort of strips really worked out for you. Absolutely. Because yeah, I'm sure I hear lots of stories of arrow leaf clover working really well for other people in different places. Those other ones, they're obviously all out there for a reason. But just in our environment, it just seems that this is what works for us. Yeah, and so I've gone on with that. Yeah, we've got a few paddocks of straight bicerula in, and I'm now sowing bicerula with loose, and wherever we under-sow loose, and I'm sowing bicerula to hopefully, well, still to provide that gap filler, because as loose and thins out, instead of having weeds grow, it's good if we have something beneficial that grows. And also, hopefully, the bicerula then tames down the bloat risk of the loosen. So the bicerula has got something called condensed tannins in it, so that while it makes it a little bit not as tasty to eat not as palatable maybe as something like a subclover yeah that sort of helps with the bloat so yeah and, and i've had other people say um oh you now the boss rule it's not palatable or something but i don't know from what i've seen my our cattle love it but you know there's places where they've got options tree lines and there's plenty of grass around at the moment and stuff and they still seem to hammer the boss rule so and we've seen very very little won't say none but very very little signs of bloat with it we've been Driving around this morning and walk through some probably knee-high paddocks of Bicerula, so it looks pretty magic here at this time of year. What are you planning to do with that stuff you've locked up? We've been harvesting. Um, so a paddock I sowed in 2020, we harvested it yeah, the last two years, got seed off, and then I've, yeah, so I'm now using that to spread everywhere else. So that's a really good economic gain and cost reduction. So yeah, to be able to graze the paddocks during the year, yeah, then lock them up and get seed, so that makes it look pretty good for a pulse replacement. Yep. And so how have they been yielding? So probably on average about 100 kgs a hectare. I think that's probably where I'm getting off here. Yep. And are you using all of that seed? Are you selling any surplus seed? Yeah, just be, I've been selling yeah, some seed just locally, pretty much. I was spreading it around the west of the state. But yeah, just sort of friends and other people, anyone who's inquiring. But no, we've spread a fair bit of seed around the place, yeah. Is it difficult to harvest? Yes and no. <laughs> it's, di- <laughs> it's difficult to get it in the header yep. or in the box, I should say. No, it's been pretty easy. I have to thank Mike O'Hare down at Beckham for uh, giving me some pointers. No, we've just been going in in... January, February, hitting, going up, up with a hay rake, just raking it up into windrows and then using a pickup front, putting it into the header. So that bit's all easy. The hardest part then is trying to get the seed out of the pod. It's got a really thick, leathery pod that doesn't really want to split open. Yeah, I mean, that 100 kilos a hectare I've been getting, I reckon that there would have been three or 400 kilos in the paddock, which I've just spread back around again. But yeah, we get to take a bit of it. Yeah, probably not the worst thing for the sustainability of the system to leave a bit behind. But yeah, I guess you're probably more thinking a bit short term by just getting as much as you can year to year yeah I, no, it's some, an area we definitely want to improve we're going to keep trying some different things yeah it'd be really nice if we can get some more of that seed for sure and you also said that you've just bought yourself a new seed cleaner do you mind talking about that no it's pretty simple you're going to put me on the spot because I've forgotten the name of it it's just an air one and just yeah, it's got a fan just drops the uh, the seed flow drops through the fan and it actually does a really good job of sizing seed because so, all the lighter stuff blows out the back and the heavier stuff drops straight away so even with wheat and pulses and stuff like that you get your heavy seed all up the front and all the light stuff gets blown out so it's been yeah quite beneficial just as a sort of help as a pre-cleaner and stuff but so like I can do all my wheat seed and, and that with it 
Yeah. So what are your plans going forward to get your harvest a bit better? Maybe any tips on maybe desiccation or windrowing or anything like that? Yeah. So hopefully what we're going to try that this year is we're going to try and desiccate you know, as soon as the crop's sort of 90% ripe or something. We'll try and desiccate. And I believe maybe at that stage that the pods might be more brittle. Got a stripper front coming and I keep hearing stories where everyone says how wonderful stripper fronts are for picking up down crops. So this one looks pretty much like a down crop to me. So hoping yeah, if I run it that yeah, we might be able to sort of help yeah, pluck the seeds off and, and uh, these pods off. And yeah, if they're brittle enough, shatter and then we'll be able to get them in the box. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got experience with chickpeas and field peas in the past. How does this crop sort of compare to them? Yeah, well, I suppose... Yeah, well, it's like just like peas, when it matures, it all just sort of falls down. It's all sort of knee-high plus at the moment, but as it matures, that'll go back down to our ankles. So, yeah, pretty similar from that front. But then, yeah, with this pod situation, you don't have to – I mean, it's not like you're worrying about seed cracking or anything like that. I'm not even really worried about shatter at the front either. So it's more about actually trying to get the pods to break open. So we're mucking around, doing some things, mucking around with concaves and that, trying to close concaves up or put a wire mesh in there. They're going to try some stuff like that. Mate, it sounds like I need to come out here in another six months and uh, <laughs> talk to you after harvest. It sounds like a constant learning experience with something new and exciting like this it is a big learning experience which is really enjoyable i mean that's the fantastic thing about farming is just we're all learning all the time and yeah trying new things but i'm a bit excited about this crop i think it's showing a lot of potential to then become part of our cropping system and the fact that you've only got to sow it once and once you've got it it's there i think going forward that's going to be really good yeah it's interesting that you call it a crop and you talk about it as if it's a crop we've gone straight into the detail there but maybe we'll step back and have a look at a bit of the system of this sort of bice ruler and hard seeded legume so just for the list Listeners, these hard-seeded legumes are much more persistent in the soil with a hard seed and that they can basically regenerate even after a cropping phase. Is that what you've seen in your experience, Paul? Yeah, and the 17 to 20 was a typical example that we sowed a crop in 17. I wouldn't have even said we had a great seed set then, but it did have a seed set. And then we've had complete wipeout in 18 and 19 with no rain. And then for the crop to come back the way it did, it's obviously got a lot of hard seed. And so there's no reason it won't continue in our cropping system. So even then this year, we sowed one paddock. So last year in 21, we sowed a 240 hectare paddock just straight by Cerula. It grew pretty well. We probably sowed a little bit late. It definitely likes an early sowing once it you know, starts cools down. And So what time of year is an early sowing for you? Yeah, I think we want to be sort of late March, early April, which is good in that you know, we're getting it in before the rest of the crop, so it's not interfering. It's only about the same time as we say our grazing cereals. The growth out of it then when it gets a start, it's so far ahead of then something that you sow in late May You know, after everything else. So that crop grew well last year. We grazed it. We had 100 young bulls on it for a couple of months and they didn't even touch it really. And then it all sets seed so then yeah this year i came in it's okay the plan is to sow wheat yeah in sort of yeah late april as i'm going into the paddock with the boom spray to take everything out or sort of sowing the wheat it was just a carpet of bicerula it's pretty hard to keep going <laughs> it's a bit of a sickening feeling when you think this is just going to be some magic feed in a couple of weeks but i guess it's done its job already it's built up all that nitrogen the one thing with these is that the broadleaf weed options probably weed control options aren't that great so yeah i think putting it into a wheat's a, a great option that's the downside there's really very little in the way of broadleaf weed control options so 
yeah, I think it's almost a case of, I mean, you do the best you can to get as clean a paddock as you can before you sow it, and then probably pretty much got to close your eyes that first year to other weeds. But then, yeah, come back in with the cereal the following year and then take all those weeds back out again and try to avoid any use of the SUs of that because, yeah, like any of those sort of medics and clovers and all that sort of stuff, they're not, it's not going to like that. But if we can, you know, avoid using them, I think we've got to have a good fit in our cropping system. Yeah. This year being particularly wet, have you started to notice that your nitrogen needs weren't as high in those paddocks that you had these hard-seated legumes? To be honest, I haven't this year. I mean, we've only that's the first paddock that we've really done. And I think, well, it was, there was a lot of things went against that paddock this year. So we did end up actually, I had some leftover urea that I was putting on some other paddocks. So I did put 55 kilos of urea across that paddock. So yeah, we haven't seen a great benefit yet. And I think last year, I think the amount of fleabane and stuff we had last year, I mean, last year was incredibly wet over the winter and we sort of sowed it too late and all that so there was a few things that weren't right and I think the weeds got away a bit so I think they probably would have sucked out a lot of the nitrogen benefit from last year so yeah we've got to, still learning still got to do a better job of that side of it yeah yeah probably just one of my last questions on this topic have you I know Belinda sort of advises the dry sowing of the unscarified seed have you thought about that or considered that yeah, yeah, for sure. Because once again, the real benefit of that is going to be that yeah, that early germination and it gets going faster. The inoculation is an issue, or just not an issue, because you said, but you have to use a losca, the clay-based inoculant, and it, which comes in a sort of a granule sort. Yeah, of, it comes in like a granule, yeah. and yeah, you know, and it can be mixed with fertilizer. So I haven't tried that yet. It's definitely something I'll think about. People, are, you know, talking about even. Yeah, like if you're sowing digit grass, you know, October or November or something in the spring, then maybe, you know, your your hard seed legumes could be sown with a losca at that time and they'll probably they should just sit over the summer and wait and then come up in the autumn. And yeah, things like that. There's yeah, we're still working at learning how to do that stuff better and once again your weed control paddock's going to have to be pretty clean because you sort of lose any ability to take out any weeds in that situation but you know if you've got your paddocks right there's certainly I think a place for it and all the evidence is that you know, the, the plants grow so much better you'll get so much more production that first year. So you just mentioned that you're growing it with Premier Digit is that those two are providing sort of the synergies of the legume in the winter and the grass in the summer you're seeing some good benefits there? Yeah, that's the plan. And that, yeah, that's going well. Yeah, once again, I'm sort of selected paddocks where I you know, don't really want to be cropping. We're using that, once again, as a bloat offset at times of the year and conditions where we think bloat's a risk. It's yeah, nice to have some digit paddocks that we can put the cattle on instead. We've actually got all our um, heap of calving heifers on a paddock at the moment as they carve we've been walking them onto onto that and so yeah the digits pretty much dormant at the moment but the bicerule is growing really well and yeah that's yeah, later in the season the bicerule will shut down and the, and the digit will take off so yeah hopefully we're going to get a nice synergy there that's right yeah and hopefully it's fixed a heap of nitrogen and that premier digit really jumps away so when we we're driving around before we're talking about how good a season it's been for cattle and you're sort of maybe moving away from cropping a little bit this year how have you come to that decision coming from sort of from the economic side of it yeah i've always done the gross margins and the cropping there's a higher gross margin on average than livestock up until recently and so therefore we've tried to concentrate on putting our best country into crop and then the rest of the country sort of in and out of crop or straight cattle whatever so we've sort of split the farm up and we've got areas of continuous crop we've got paddocks that have been 15 years continuous crop now some that come in and out of crop and then some are just native pastures but i think with the change in livestock values over the last few years that dynamics really changed when i look at our gross margins now and i go well we can make just as much money out of cattle as we can from cropping with 
a quarter of the risk. And particularly the way input prices are at the moment, that's really highlighted that even further. That our risk, particularly out here where, you know, it's pretty, we are marginal cropping country. We've had just had on our third good year now, but we can still look, go back, look at 20 years of yields and we're only at about 1.6 tonnes to the hectare, the old eight bags or something. We're, only, we're still only, our average is still only around that. So I couldn't imagine growing an eight bag crop amount we've spent on inputs. So this is, once again, you know, if we get that vice ruler in, so it, it's established, come autumn next year, you know, if all our subsoil moisture's disappeared and things are looking dodgy and the forecasts aren't good, then maybe some of our lesser paddocks, we could just say, okay, let's just leave them out and just have it as a grazing paddock for the year. If all goes well, we might end up harvesting some seed, whatever, but the risk is so much reduced against a crop. So it just really makes that system really flexible. That's it. I think it's going to give us a lot more flexibility. And because you've already sown it, it's there. It's waiting to go. It's just to choose whether you spray it out and sow a crop or whether you leave it and graze it. Beauty. That sounds like a... Sounds, oh, this farming business sounds, <laughs> sounds pretty easy, Paul. <laughs> might, might make it easy. Yeah. Mate, we've talked a lot about the benefits. Have you noticed any downsides to the Ceredella or the Bicerula? I know some people have seen photosensitivity in some stock, particularly sheep. No, we haven't seen anything. We're running black cattle, so apparently that pretty much cancels that out. Oh, great. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think cattle in particular are less sensitive than sheep, and running black cattle <laughs> means there's, there's no problem whatsoever. But even talking to people about with the sheep, the only time that they really have a problem is if you've got a very pure stand and there's nothing else to eat and they're on it for long enough, that it might become a problem. So once again, just through management, you can move them on and off supply hay, supply other things. There's ways around it. If you're a, a total sheep operation, you know, maybe you don't want to put bicycle over the whole property. It's a bit like me not wanting to put loosen over the whole property. You need to have options. Yeah. Mate, this has been a very technical episode and I've loved that. But for my final question, I'd like to go a bit broader and ask my guests, what do you think is the big issue in Australian ag at the moment? Big one and a dangerous one. It's the political divide. And we're seeing it happen in other countries a lot more where political decisions that directly affect farming are being made. You know, the banning of glyphosate or the cutting in Sri Lanka, the cutting back of fertiliser, you know, they're wanting to go organic. And it's having huge ramifications because, unfortunately, the people who are making these decisions don't have all the information and don't understand what the implications are and not using science. And so, yes, yeah, so that is a huge one, which, and I yeah, leave it to the powers to be to try to work that out. But it's a worry. And as our country becomes more and more citified, you've got more and more people who don't really understand what it is that they're dealing with. A lot of people grew up with city cousins or whatever, but now that just doesn't seem to happen as much or people have moved to the cities and become more urbanised, as you said. Yeah, but on the whole, I'm really positive about agriculture and I think we're in a great space at the moment. It's a really good place to be. There's great things happening everywhere, resolving you know, a lot of these problems. Yeah, I mean, it seems that we're going to have to play our part in going forward. I mean, we could say one big issue is the whole electrification of everything we do because I don't know where we're going to get all, the, all our electricians from to fix all this stuff that we're playing with. But it's so exciting, some of the things that are coming through and the tools that we've got to play with now and help us do our job and what we can record and measuring crops from NDVIs to the protein and moisture meters and everything on our headers. And it's just giving us so much information and ways that we can improve. So in general, I mean, I think meat's 
going really well and I'm really glad to hear that there's a bit of question marks are starting to show up in the whole uh, <laughs> systems because <laughs> I think meat's going really well and meat's always going to have a place and livestock have a place in our production systems. So, you know, there's never any one simple thing and I just wish people would realise that sometimes that just because something works really well in one area doesn't make it the right thing for somewhere else and to say we must ban this or that or anything else for everywhere is just ridiculous. I think that's a really positive aspect and a cracking way to finish the podcast so paul thanks so much for coming on today's episode thanks so much Rowan. it's been fun thanks for listening this podcast was brought to you by central west local land services local land services delivers advice and support to farmers landholders and the community across new south wales to learn more you can find us online by searching for central west local land services If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events, and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.